I, I, I'm sorry. Like, this is the fourth ranked team in the nation. And don't give me this, like, we didn't get, we, we, we didn't be the fifth team in the nation. God damn. It's like, you know what? Your own. If I wanted to see a man go on the rest of the internet, I don't get all this. It's like a UGA football internet into its own mouth. Jesus. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to go over what was the Columbia Massacre. Well, not really even a massacre. It was a really cool game in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. And we're going to go over a bunch of stats, our own experiences, and just dig through kind of what to expect from this game going forward, or this team going forward. Um, Nathan's actually put together a whole bunch of notes regarding uh, you know our team as it stands against all the different o-lines and defenses uh from the past four games now and it's it's actually really interesting stuff so uh how do you want to start this all out nathan um well let's talk talk about our experiences first i actually have a little bit of a couple of interesting things to say because i did not go to this game sat on the couch huh but i definitely do i have some thoughts so uh i would say first number one top line thing for me is that i am not good at being a fan who does not go to the games i can only imagine I'm miserable at it. I'm so miserable. We got up. I got up pretty early and went and worked out. Mainly, not even because like I'm so swollen or something, but because I was so... <laughs> I knew I was going to be nervous, so I wanted to get some of that energy out. And I came back and sat down for the first half, and I was just vibrating with energy. Like, literally shivering, like, cold, doubled over in half, watching the game, miserable. Now, we hadn't eaten at that point, so that probably has something to do with it, but whatever. Uh, so I was pretty miserable because I, uh, I mean, I predicted us to win this closer than the spread, which didn't end up actually happening. But, you know, I, I was, I was worried that I had actually, that, that 10 points that I'd given us was actually too big. I kind of thought we might lose this game, mm-hmm. like coming in, that was sort of my feel. So I was just very nervous. Uh, we went to, thank God, my, my blessed saint of a wife took me to blind pig, uh, mm-hmm. right at halftime. So we went over there and just like, first off eating food food was a really good choice so that that helped quite a bit and then you know on top of that just being around other people was really nice because i sometimes when i'm just in my head and samantha also gets very nervous during the games and we're not like a very talkative couple when we're alone uh during the games that is so we were just kind of sitting there silently miserable so (laughs) when we were around other people it was a lot better in the second half um and you know then we actually it was actually really cool because we won and then they immediately turned on the the ninth inning of the braves game and we watched the braves clinch the nl east against the phillies and that was really cool to have those two moments in time right next to each other or whatever. But I mean, other than that, it was a very normal fan weekend for me. I mean, I took some pictures of my boys on the TV. Uh, my, my sousaphone boys, that is not my, not my UGA boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they are UGA boys, but not my football boys, you know? So I took some pictures of them and I don't know. I mean, I could, I could have a beer and not get fired or whatever. So that was nice. <laughs> Try not to get fired out here. Trying to just drink some beers with my boys and take pictures of everybody. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I say I could have because I didn't because I was so nervous. I was just like, I can't even, I'll just throw up. I can't, <laughs> I, I, I just drink water like literally the whole day. Um, I, I, I don't know how to turn off on a game day very well. And so, yeah, that was. You just felt like you should have been at work. Yeah. And, you know, I, partially this is my fault because, you know, I didn't really plan anything for us to do because I just wanted to hang out with Samantha. But then I, in hindsight, I probably should have like figure out if someone's house to go to or something just to like take the pressure off a little bit because mm-hmm. when i'm around other people i feel like it's a little bit easier to like share their w- when you can share your anxiety with a bunch of different people it kind of lessens it a little bit so anyway N- nathan learns how to be a fan <laughs> it's gonna be like the next Medea movie or like pb herman movie yeah yeah how nathan got his groove back nathan goes to the blind big yeah nathan exactly. goes and eats chicken wings spicy wings there you go ata I didn't even have spicy wings. No? Yeah, I had the Greek, uh, chicken Greek Philly. I think it was the best thing on the menu. How was it? Review it for me. Oh, it's super good. I always get it in a wrap. They don't close the ends of the wrap off, so that's annoying, but like the filling of it is just like super good feta and chicken and like banana peppers. So like if it falls out, I just eat it on the fries, like fried nachos. Nice. I've, ha- I've had this order quite a few times, so like I have this plan- planned out. Blind Pig, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Um, Could not be a sponsor. though. We'd take it. <laughs> hey. 
hey, come talk to us, blind pig. We'll yeah. let you know. Yeah. Anyway. It, we're cheap. As, as Nathan put it once, if you back up the money truck to the, yeah. the CBC loading dock, you know, we'll let you in. And you're thinking of like a pickup truck and we're thinking of a Tonka truck. Mm-hmm. Like bring your piggy bank down. Yeah. Yeah. Crack that piggy bank oven with a big old like play hammer and yeah. oh, just yeah. give us your change. <laughs> anyway, um, my experience, I had a great time. I actually wrote a, uh, a Patreon post about this for uh, Patreon members. So there are a number of you that actually got access to this already. So I will recount that for those of you that didn't get a chance to actually uh, hear it. But if you want to, you're, you're welcome to, uh, we have two different levels of donation. If you wanted to donate, you have any money, uh, coming in that you just don't know what to do with, you're more than welcome to donate a dollar or $5. And that gives you access to any of the things on our Patreon, which includes written posts from us. And what else? Uncensored, uh, episodes with more content, so those are different things you can actually look forward to on. Yeah, and it, it's not just the cu- it's not just the cussing words. It's you know new 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 stuff too. You, you know probably you know I might actually cut the whole bit that you just gave the review for the uh, the Mediterranean rap or whatever it was Greek rap, and that might not even make it to the show, but you could hear it on the Patreon for sure. So you have that to look forward to, and now everybody's scratching their head like I want to know about more of the rap. Anyway, my experience at. The Columbia game, Columbia, Missouri game, the whole Missouri, the Mizzou game. I was not there. I actually went to Atlanta. So I went to the battery at SunTrust Park. And those of you who have not been there, you need to go. It's like, it's incredible. It's like a whole, like, it's like a college campus for baseball. So you go and like, you walk through, there's like strip mall almost, and it's huge sidewalks. And there's no cars that drive down it or anything, but there's like a bunch of different shops and uh, restaurants and like specialty stores and things like that. And then you get to actual SunTrust Park, and it's it's massive. And I have this great picture on the Patreon post. Uh, I think I might have even posted it to my Twitter or something. But the Terrapin Brew Lab is there, and uh, it was just a beautiful day. And if you go to the left, there's, like, water fountains and stuff for kids to play in. And then we went to this place called Live at the Battery, I think it's called. It's two or three stories tall, inside and outside. And we sat inside, and they have, um, like, an island oasis bar. And there's another bar on the other side of the restaurant, a bar upstairs. The food was awesome, and I really enjoyed just our time there. They are home to the biggest TV in the Southeast, they said, which I didn't know there was a statistic out there for that, but they appealed to all my senses with that one. We sat there, and we got to watch, and it was kind of like a stadium experience because every time anything great happened, like all of the smoke machines went off and like all of the uh, like the air horns, and then it was all met with a bunch of uh, you know marching band show tunes and stuff, or stand tunes, excuse me. It felt like being in a stadium, and we were the coolest part is that we were literally like a hundred yards from the uh, Centrus Park because you can walk up right to the gate and you'll be in the outfield essentially. That is super cool. It was really neat. There's a bunch of Hugh Atchison restaurants out there. Centrus really? Park is super cool. Yeah, there's a, a Hugh Atchison hot dog place and a Hugh Atchison uh, like pub food bar and a bunch of other stuff out there. But it's it's so much fun, and it's we didn't even like we didn't go to the baseball game. But we just went to go enjoy uh, the football game, and it was just as fun being right outside the baseball stadium. And they would cut between both, uh, you know, in between commercial breaks, they would cut to the baseball game. We get to see kind of what was going on, which uh, I can't pronounce his name, but pitched a no hitter up to like the top of the seventh, which is awesome. Fultonevich, that one, that's the guy. Yeah. And then they Fulty. went through like three or four pitchers in that inning, but got through it and clinched the. Uh, in at least, which is super awesome. That but is just like cool. you said, yeah, we, we got to watch the end of the football game and then we switched over for like that last inning and got to see the last three outs in real time, which was awesome. As we came out of the, the restaurant, like everybody was pouring out of the stadium from SunTrust Park as well. And so we got to not only celebrate with all of the football fans, but then immediately after like ride that train as long as we could <laughs> uh, with all the baseball fans too. So That's awesome. It was so cool. It was super neat. Yeah, that was kind of my experience. I think everybody should go. Awesome. That's uh, that's a hi- highly recommended on all accounts. Apparently Very much on so. Saturday. So our next piece is let's really dive into the Missouri game and let's talk about the stats. What do the stats tell us? So do you want to <laughs> <laughs> give us some of them stats, Nathan? Yeah, I've got so many stats. You gonna hit us with the five factors box score? Yeah, let's hit the bo- let's do the box score first. So I'm not gonna give you the whole thing. I'm just gonna give you stuff that I think is interesting. Uh, of course, the score is forty-three to twenty-nine. UGA had a sixty-three point two win probability, which seems about right. Feels like that this that we win this game about six out of ten times, six and a half out of ten, something like that. Um, you know, closer than it should have been. Uh, we had thirteen drives to their fifteen. We had uh, sixty-three plays to their eighty-five. Four hundred forty-four yards to their three hundred ninety-three. 
Um, we had 7.6 yards per play, 7.06, and they had 4.62. Um, our success rate, we actually had lower. Their success rate is 49.4. We had a negative 7-point differential in success rate. That's kind of a problem. However, we did have double the scoring opportunities for, uh, that they did. We only got 3 uh, points per oppor- scoring opportunity, whereas they got 5.6. Um, we won the field position battle. We had a positive yards per play margin. I also thought that it was interesting that um, points per uh, points per opportunity margin they beat us, and then we they we beat them on the turnover margin two to negative two. Um, their expected turnover margin was 0.29. Ours expected was uh, point negative 0.29. So there they we did have about 2.29 turnovers of bad luck so if each turnover is worth about three points we, we we did get basically about a touchdown off of turnovers which i think kind of bears out if you think about it throughout the game sure um yeah. obviously we got two touchdowns directly off of turnovers but i mean it's like an, about six at the of net. those points yeah about yeah. six of those points on the day were worth were from the turnovers you know this is going to kind of tie into what we said but obviously the big all the gnashing of the teeth right now on the internet is that our run defense is bad and I'll, you know it was not great and a lot of that success rate really does reflect that uh, 49.4% success rate is above average as is 49 42.9 but 49.4 um is pretty bad especially uh when a lot of that came well, a lot of their success honestly came on uh running plays so this is not a team known for its running Missouri is not I mean they definitely have a good offensive line which we're going to talk about the offensive lines later that we faced but I, you know, there is a lot of gnashing of teeth over that. And I would say that sort of the rest of what I'm going to do with the stat segment today is to get everyone to chill the F out, to calm down. Let's just calm down, calm down, take a deep breath. Actually, you know what? People hate being told to calm down. So here's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Instead, listen to these rational stats and then reevaluate your opinion. And as a UGA found on the internet, I know that's going to be very easy for you. So let's start with the top line reasons why you should calm down. First off, uh, SMP Plus update, uh, including games after 922. UGA is currently in the 97.1 percentile of SMP Plus. We are ranked four down from three last week to four, a whopping fall of one one spot. And a lot of that was because Clemson just beat the crap out of Georgia Tech. Our offensive SMP Plus, our offensive is re- our offense is ranked seventh in SMP Plus. Our defense is ranked 14th. Yes, you are right. The defense, which is the worst defense that Kirby Smart's ever fielded, no, it's not. <laughs> that's embarrassing Georgia in every way. No, it's not. That has a bad offensive line that's on roller skates all the time. No, they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, that team or that uh, that defense is ranked 14th in the nation. So if we can, if we just stop right there, just don't say anything else. That's pretty much what you should know. This team has a worse defense than last year. The offense is as good. Coming into this year, everyone was saying this team has a worse defense than last year. The offense was was going to be as good, if not better. That is exactly what has been to this point in the season. That's all. Like mm-hmm. nothing has changed from what we thought at the beginning of the year. So just calm down. At the beginning of the year, everybody thought we were going to lose one or two games. Now everyone's worried about us losing one or two games. So that very last piece, the S and P plus S and P plus update, is the the special teams, and that's is that concerning at all? With last week being uh, we were third ranked S and P plus, now we're thirty fifth. Uh, not really. I mean, I know that special teams can be pretty volatile in terms of yeah. Statistics. I mean, there are yeah, very a, few of them. A, they're very volatile, and B, we're we're at small sample size. A, because we're only four games into the season, and B, because we haven't we had a lot of punt. special teams. <laughs> yeah, we haven't a lot of, had a lot of special teams um, opportunity. And I actually mm-hmm. was thinking about this beforehand. So, if you look at it, like we're still 19th in kickoff efficiency because all but one of the kicks have been touchbacks. We're still eighth in kick return efficiency because we just when we're preventing kick returns right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh we are 88th in punt return efficiency a lot of that has to do with the fact that akil crumpton apparently can't get um catch a punt so he just lets them go by you and we are 86th in punt efficiency i would say that that is basically because jake camarda has not had to punt a lot yeah. you know they even said on the broadcast which god i listened to the broadcast what the f um <laughs> they even said on the broadcast that you know jake camarda would be one of the top two or three punters in the nation if he what had punted enough to qualify for any of the stats so i'm not really worried about that i think that's something that's going to smooth out i think it's probably we're probably not the third best special teams in the nation but we're also probably not 19th and actually we might be the third best i think that we just haven't had a lot of opportunities you know and so you know rodrigo did have two misses on the day right he had two misses i think so yeah one that got blocked and one that just missed um and so that you know that is bad but it's not backbreaking and the one that he missed was from over 40 yards so it's like a 49 yarder so i'm not really that concerned about it so 
Um, I mean, and then second thing I want to point out, and this is just also a top line stat. We had a 68% win percentage on this game, which was down a little bit from the pregame win expectancy, which was in the 70s, the win probability, which was in the 70s. However, our adjusted scoring margin was still five points. This was not a two-point game. We got some breaks. And this is what Bill Connolly said is that, you know, he said on his Twitter, and he's a Mizzou fan, that it feels bad when the better team gets breaks. And his point he was trying to make was, you know, Georgia still probably wins this game, but Mizzou had some bad breaks. You know what I mean? And that's just... I mean, that is what it is. I mean, we had an 81% percentile performance overall, but we had a 35% percentile performance on offense and a 37% on defense. This was not a very good performance by either side of the ball. It just wasn't. I mean, and if we play, we played our worst game in the, we played our worst game of the year and the advanced stats still say we should have won by five points. So everyone should calm down. Now let's get into some specifics of why you should calm down. Um, do you want to go over our five factors currently as they stand? So our UGA five factors, UGA's five factor scores going down on the offensive side of the ball. Our efficiency were ranked, were ranked 16th on success rate, uh, seventh on marginal efficiency on explosiveness. We are ranked ninth on ISO PPP 12th on marginal explosiveness field position. We are ranked 44th and finishing drives points per scoring opportunity is 55 on turnovers, our expected turnover margin not nearly as important. It's a positive six. We're ranked first, and our actual turnover margin is ranked ninth with a positive five. And then, uh, you got any anything to say about any of those offensive pieces? This is just a really good offense. This offense is is this offense is not really poured anything except maybe finishing drives. And you can point to a couple of individual plays from the Missouri game that had they gone a different way, this this different might this number might be different. Like for instance, it. You know, this is all like kind of wishes or fishes, but if Missouri or if UGA gets an obvious pass interference or an obvious roughing the passer call that should have been called that happened right in front of the ref, then we probably score a touchdown on that drive. Right? And then this number is different. So I have no concerns about pretty much any part of the offensive numbers except for that field position forty yeah. fourth. I mean, we do have to start building punts. That's a thing. I, I I feel like especially. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like Akil Crumpton in particular has been sort of very conservative, which is good in the one sense because, like, you don't want to fumble. But on the other hand, it's like he- we're not really getting anything out of him being back there, which is crazy because he has, like, track speed. All right, so let's let's go over the defense. Yeah, under defense, uh, our efficiency right now is ranked 101st under success rate. Our marginal efficiency in that same category is 65th. So that's the worst of the uh, the five factors real quick. Um, under explosiveness, we are first against explosiveness. Our marginal explosiveness is second. So we're way better than anybody thought we would be against explosive uh, teams. Our field position is 57th. Our finishing drives, uh, points per scoring opportunity, is 16th. And our turnovers, our turnover luck is negative uh, 1.2. Yeah, so uh, we're only losing about one point per game to turnovers. And I think that has to do with the fact, if you look at our expected turnover margin to our actual turnover margin, we're, we're forcing a lot of turnovers. So we should get about half of those. So, I mean, we're not, we haven't really been that lucky because we've been forcing so many. I mean, obviously the bad is the 101st in efficiency. We're just, we're, yeah, it's pretty bad. We're giving up, we're just basically what success rate means. It's a, mar, it's a measure of how many yards do offensives get in relationship to what they need. So on first down, are they getting are they getting 40% of what they have left? On second down, are they mm-hmm. getting to 70% of what they have left? On third down, are they getting to 100? So basically, and I would actually, I don't have the success rate breaking down broken down by down and distance, although that would be awesome, but I don't think he does that. Um, but I would imagine that actually most of our, yeah, that most of that stuff, uh, most of those numbers actually come from first and second down. And actually, if you look does, at yeah, if yeah. you look at the third and long, third and medium, and third and short success rate, uh, we are ranked 65th, 35th, and 61st in those respectively. So I mean, those obviously aren't good, but those aren't like a hundred first in nature. I would I would I would wager some amount of money that uh, just about half of the that really bad stat comes from just how inefficient we've been on first down. I was going to say uh, with that too in mind, I think that with the small sample size and this Missouri game, this definitely skewed it because I know for a fact that Missouri's offense uh, would pass for more than five yards uh, 50% of the time this this weekend. So right over our 45 and a half percent on defense uh, under efficiency. Although I will say, and this is kind of goes in my calm down mantra, that you you will not be ranked number one and number two in anything if you are not a good defense. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming into this game, Drew Locke was averaging two to three hundred 250 yards per game and was averaging like two touchdowns a game he still right now has the third most touchdowns in the sec 
and he did not score any on us, right? So, you know, you cannot look at the success that the running game has had against us without looking at the lack of success, especially in explosive plays, that um, opposing quarterbacks have had against us. So, like, Drew Locke's stat line for the day. So, he had – he was – 23 for 48 with one interception, no touchdowns. His average per attempt was 4.6 yards. His average per completion was 9.6. He had no, he had no passing touchdowns for the first time in several games. We hold him, we held him under his average by 30 to 40 yards. And he was inefficient the whole day at doing anything other than dinking and dunking, which is honestly (laughs) what we were worried he was going to do. But there's no reason to be worried like that. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that, like, we basically said this before this game, that they're going to try to think and us to death, and as long as we don't give up explosive plays, we should win. And that is exactly what happened. So, again, everyone calm down. This is a game that we should have won, and we won. There are things that we should fix, and there are things that we're going to look at, and, and how we can fix them, and where, they, where these problems are coming from. But I, I'm not really that concerned for this defense right now, just because, frankly, I think that there are things that are fixable in this defense based on injury and just people playing a little bit better. And I think that we just saw a rather disinterested uh, defensive effort overall on Saturday. And I think that that effort can be fixed. I will go back and say, you mentioned that Drew Lock had no touchdowns. He did have a rushing touchdown, which is where all of their touchdowns came yeah. from this weekend. And so we can, we're going to talk a lot about the rush defense. I yeah, I mean... But if you if you look at it like standard okay so like let's let's look at our defensive footprint which is like our tendencies right so standard downs run rate mm-hmm. which is how many how many runs we have faced on standard down forty eight point six percent one hundred and twenty one people are just throwing the ball on us and not having a lot of success yeah. and so uh, to me what that tells me is that we are we are having to defend the pass more than we are having to defend the run and it's hard to be it's hard to be good at both it just is. And if we are not an elite defense, which I think we are, a, we are a very, very good defense, but I don't think we're elite, then that's just going to suffer. Pa- pass down run rate, same thing. People are passing on us. We just face passing teams. And, you know, if you don't come in, if you come into a defensive line meeting and you're told, hey, we have to play the pass all night, we have to try to affect the quarterback, you're not going to be as good at holding your lanes. That's just the way it is. Our overall havoc rate is up actually up to 75th uh, this week, so we're above average. Our D-line havoc rate is up to 85th, which is good. That improved. We had a couple of good plays from the D-line. Our LB mm-hmm. havoc rate is up to 13th, which is also good. Our DB havoc rate is 46th, which is mostly DeAndre Baker, but Eric Stokes had a very good uh, <laughs> Eric Stokes had a very good game as well. And our pass sure defense did. to uh, interceptions is at 39th in the nation. So we're actually playing pretty aggressively too back there. Um, in terms of our offensive footprint, uh, standard downs run rate 31st, standard downs passing rate, or passing downs run rate 37th, we run the ball. Adjusted uh, pace 110th, we're not that fast about it. Percentage of solo tackles 50th, so we don't necessarily f- uh, force people to get on islands. And have a great allowed, we are still 6th. So, you know, I mean, this is still an, pretty this good. Is still a really efficient offense that just runs the ball well. I mean, and I, th- I think that, you know, for all the success we had in the passing game, that we kind of bore that out, right? We, we had... On the day on Saturday, we actually outrushed Mizzou. We had 40 rushing attempts for 185 yards for 4.6 yards, uh, yards per rush. And yeah, that's not great. But on the other hand, that is the exact same average yard per rush that we just surrendered to Mizzou and are gnashing our teeth about. So if it's not up to our standard, but it's the same that we surrendered to Mizzou, like you can either pick one or the other, right? You can either mm-hmm. be upset that we only got 4.6 yards per carry against a good Mizzou team, or you can be upset that Mizzou got 4.6 yards per carry against us, a good defensive team like i I feel like there's a little bit of like alabamization of the fan base right now going on where it's like look teams aren't perfect that's just no like if teams were consistent or perfect then we wouldn't have advanced stats because we wouldn't need them this would all be moot because we could just decide the games based on who had the better players but they're inconsistent because as long as you have 18 to 20 year olds holding an oblong ball that bounces randomly things are not (laughs) going to be consistent and that's life, man. This is not, see, here's the problem. I think a lot of people who get into really advanced stats, they, they come from a baseball background. And so in baseball, everything's regular enough that you can say like, well, like, okay, for instance. You can predict every dang yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you can look at things sort of in a dispassionate way, um, not just because you have all these stats, but because you can predict very accurately, right? So you can say, listen, um, Nick Markakis, he's had a great year, but we probably shouldn't resign him for the Braves because he's in the downside of his career and just the profile of batters going forward does not look great that's because you have 162 games a year to do that with man if you get too fixated on the you know on the the ups and downs and the 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 dips of the season you you miss the big picture and ultimately like i think the big picture isn't great for our run defense but i think we can look at some very particular things and stop just casting aspersions at all these kids who are trying really hard all right sorry got that out of my system (laughs) 
And on the other hand, Nick Markakis has played every single game this year. Yeah, they they gave him just get that through your they head. Need, they gave him one out bat. Yes, they gave him one at bat yesterday just so he could maintain the streak. But it's like, come on, man, he needs he yeah. needs a he needs a break. All right, so I know you want to do a hot rod watch, but I, I do want to go over some stuff that I. It's a quick hot rod watch. Yeah, I, d- I did a little bit of um, so for our last little bit of research and stats, I did some research, and this is actually not Bill Connolly research. This is Nathan Lawrence research. So this is some deep deep research. Yeah, this is probably too much. So. Um, one of the things I wanted to look at is just what, it, what to have all in one place. Cause obviously we've had these stats from game to game, but I wanted to look at all in one place again about what did the offenses who we faced do against UGA's defense in a rushing and passing, um, component. And then also what were the sizes, ages, and experience levels of their offensive lines? So I'm going to just give you a bunch of information. I'm going to tell you how I, cause I kind of put this together this afternoon in an attempt to find some patterns. And I didn't really find a lot of patterns, but I thought, I think I average, I kind of, I think I hit on something here. Okay, so let's start with the USC game. We're going to throw out the Austin P game because I don't really think that's a significant sample. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So we got three samples, which is obviously way too small. So let's look at this. So USC starting O-line. Senior, 6'6", 312 pounds. Senior, 6'6", 309 pounds. Redshirt senior, 6'3", 318 pounds. Uh, junior, 6'4", 311 pounds. And senior, 6'8", 311 pounds. That's going from left to right on their offensive line. Their average uh, poundage was 312.2 pounds per person and 6.4 and a half feet tall. Now, in that game, we went, they went against us. They went 20 rushes, 48 pass attempts. They had 282 yards in the air for 5.7 average, and they had 54 yards in the air for 2.7, av- or, or 54 yards rushing for a 2.7 yards per, um, av- per play average. So if you average that out, their average yard per play on the game was 4.9. However, UGA's average yard per play was 6.7, which is a negative plus 1.8 yards. Surprisingly, even though this is the game that we blew out the biggest to the to the largest extent, this was also the game where we had the highest net average in yards per play. I think that has a lot about a lot to do with the fact that we made them very inefficient because we held down their running game, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But we actually had the least amount of net yards per play average gain, so that's weird. Anyway, MTSU from left to right. Uh, left tackle, red short sophomore, six, uh, six foot three, 323 pounds. Left guard, Robert, uh, or red short senior, 6.3, 289 pounds. Center, red shirt freshman, six point, uh, six foot three, uh, 296 pounds. Uh, right guard, freshman, 6.6, 310 pounds. Right tackle, sophomore, 6.2, 287 pounds. Their average pounds were 301 per offensive lineman, and their average height was 62.8. So my my thought in doing this experiment was to try to see, are we having worse or better success against different sizes, right? So this is a, this is a, this is an offensive line, MTSU's offensive line, was a whole 11 pounds lighter per man and about two inches shorter. However, they had 30 passes and 38 rushes against us for 138 yards and a 4.8 yard average, almost doubling UGSC's average against us. Now, the question is, did UGA's players suddenly get worse? The answer, I think, almost emphatically, is no. However, they also had 100. They also had 138 yards um, passing on the day for a 4.8 yard average, which, even though it was which I would say that even though it was, you know, way less than USC's was probably a lot more efficient because they had 30 passes and 38 rushes to get to those numbers. Their average yards per play on the day MTSU against us was 4.5. Ours was at 8.6, which is a net 4.1, uh, 4.1 per play. So, I mean, I think that just has to do with the fact that MTSU's defense couldn't really do anything against us. But let's look at the Mizzou numbers because I think these are really telling. So we have sort of that in our background, right? So we, th- we think about these numbers. USC has a big offensive line. We do really get well against their uh, rushing attack. We do kind of poorly against their passing offense. They pass way more than they rush. We make them inefficient, and we win the game, but we don't really do that much better on offense than they do on offense against us. Okay, so let's start there. MTSU, they have a very balanced attack against us. They average just about the same yards per play on passing or rushing plays, and ultimately, you know, we still outgain them by about four and a half yards because they have a bad defense. Okay, there's where we are. Let's look at Mizzou's info. So, left tackle, sophomore, 6'6", 330. Left guard, redshirt freshman, 6'4", 315. Center, redshirt senior, uh, 6'4", 315. Right guard, freshman, 6'5", 350. Jesus. Right tackle, yeah, right tackle, 6'6", 315. So, average size, 325 pounds, average height, 6'4". So, to start with, this is by far the biggest off- This is by far the biggest offensive line on average that we've played this year, right? They're about, what... Uh, 13, 13 pounds, pounds heavier, heavier than, than USC's best. and about yeah. like an inch and a half taller. So, but let's look at their stat lines of those same stats, right? 48 passes, 37 rushes, 220 yards for a 4.6 average. You'll notice we actually held them well below both the average that we held um, USC to and to the and to MTSU, right? 
uh, rushing 172 yards, 4.6 yards per average. Average yards per play on the day, 4.6 yards per play. Our average yards per play, 7.1 yards per, t- per play, a net of UGA plus 3.5 yards per play. Here's my point in analyzing all this and putting this all together. It appears to me that this is a defense that is good at taking away one thing. They can make you play the kind of game that they want you to play. Now, UGA's defense also was like that last year, right? The difference is that UGA could make you play the kind that you wanted to, the kind of game that they wanted you to play and then stop you if you did the other thing with one person. We cannot do that now. To this point, we have either let teams over uh, we have either let teams over ex- uh, or like overachieve on on passing or rushing plays and I think that is because our off, our defense while talented is not talented enough to do both. We cannot both be hyper efficient as a defense and prevent big plays we cannot both defend the pass well and the and the rush well and that's not because that's impossible to do on the defense is because that's just really hard to do if you are not an elite defense which we aren't right and I think that's actually borne out by some of the individual stats right if we look at those players who are playing defensively on a uh, per player basis if you look at the top 20 UGA players in snaps right there uh, in snaps right now based on their um, advanced metrics they there is no player who's giving up a marginal explosive in the positive so let me mm-hmm. let me let me repeat that. Of the 20 players who have played on defense for UGA this year, none of them have allowed enough explosive enough explosive plays to have a margin a positive marginal explosive um, rating on the year. So that is very very telling. good. That's very telling. Basically, we're just not giving up big plays. However, if you look at our marginal efficiency on the year, the worst culprits, the 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 players that re- that give up the most marginal efficiency on each play in any defense should be your safeties and your quarterbacks, right? Because they're getting to the ball farther down the field, right? So for instance, Richard LeCount and, and J.R. Reed have a 43.8 marginal explosiveness and a 26 or marginal efficiency and a 26.5 marginal efficiency on, on tie on plays that come their way. A lot of that I think has to do with the fact that they tackle people 10 yards downfield. So the damage is already done, right? What's telling is the third highest marginal efficiency on the team so far is uh, or the second highest marginal efficiency uh, surrendered on the team defensively is Jawan Taylor, who is an inside linebacker, right? And the top five mm-hmm. is Monty Rice, who is an inside linebacker, right? And if we go all the way down, we can actually see that the marginal efficiency surrendered by many of our starting defensive linemen is actually quite good, right? DeAndre Walker, negative 35.1 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. So Tyler Clark, negative 35.9 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. Tay Crowder, actually kind of a revelation today at the inside linebacker, negative 4.9 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. If we go all the way down, we can see that like Jonathan Ledbetter, who is arguably an outside linebacker, negative 46.8 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. Malik Herring, negative 30.2 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. Devontae Wyatt, negative 30.2 marginal efficiency when plays come his way. Here's my point. Don't blame the D-line. Blame the inside linebackers who are not fitting correctly. Our D-line has not been explosive. However, when they are presented with the opportunity to make plays, they have made plays. However, I think when you're playing a two-gap over scheme, which is what we play in uh, Kirby's base D, basically as a defensive lineman, you are supposed to penetrate and hold, which is to say, that sounds horrible, but you're supposed to shed a block and then wait to see to guide the runner in the direction that you want the run to go. The whole point of doing that is that when you do it, a lot of times you should have an inside linebacker behind you cleaning up the trash. And part of the reason we were so good last year is that we had Rokon Smith doing that all year, right? And I think part of what we've seen in these plays is that actually a lot of the times that you'll see there's a big cutback lane where like a a running back just takes the takes the ball outside on an inside run and i think that has to do with the fact that it's it's been very easy for teams to clutter up our inside linebackers and trash going through blocks right so a lot of times our inside linebackers frankly are just running to themselves out of place now this shouldn't like make you feel better necessarily but if we can identify the individual positions on the field that are weaknesses and we can say hey objectively this is what the problem is then we can address it and you know that if some dummy here sitting with an english degree can can identify it <laughs> then kirby smart can identify it and i would actually 100%. say that the two best inside linebackers on this team are probably freshmen and they're just going to have to take time to come around so that's my rant about stats for today do you want to see, do you want to go into some, now that we've kind of had all of our stats and had our, our stats download directly to the eyes today, do you want to talk about your observations? Yeah. So uh, our observations and takeaways, we can kind of, I feel like we can combine, kind of combine these segments in a way. 
I mean, you've talked about a lot of good pieces and, and a lot of stuff that I was even going to... My, my big observations were, at first, you know, my eye test was that it was sad to see our best tacklers in the game were our, our starting safeties and cornerback, which meant that it felt like our, our, our run game, our run defense was getting away from us. But really what you ended up telling me was that it's not nearly as bad as it had looked or the numbers from this game specifically had told us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't great, but it, I mean, everybody calmed down. You know, a, a stat that I spat off earlier was that uh, Missouri was able to run five yards or more on on more than 50% of all player plays. And so I think that is one thing that we do need to get better at, but it's not like we're absolute garbage and we can just pack up the season and let it go. Right. It's not that situation, especially go back about 20 minutes in this episode and go back through the box score based off of S&P numbers and you'll see exactly what I mean. We'll be just fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not good to give up a positive 7% uh, success rate differential. But on the other hand, when you're scoring 40 points a game, it's actually not horrible either because you to score 40 points in a game you actually need to be either hellishly efficient which some teams we play are not lsu just for the record um Mm -hmm. that that's more like an alabama thing or you need to be very very explosive and that's kind of the quote-unquote easier way to do it because you can do it in fewer plays but we're just not giving that up right now but though the thing is like if you do it in fewer plays you're putting your defense on the field more yeah and you're gonna you're gonna wear them out you're gonna gas yeah which is not necessarily our problem we have not gotten gassed yet uh, it, when there weren't extenuating circumstances, yeah. like I know Tyson Campbell was sick this weekend, and so he was puking yeah. through the whole time. And when he's not on the field, and so when that wasn't an issue, we weren't gassed. So conditioning has not been a problem yet, but it will be when we play faster, harder, mm-hmm. you know, much more tough teams than the ones we've been playing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I mean, I want to just like pick up on that. Like, I thought that Arundi was bad all around today, but I also think that that this is a combination of you know, effort, game plan, and injuries, right? We're, we're playing people mm-hmm. off the line, so we got fewer people in the box, so that makes it easier to run. We got an injury to Monty Rice, who despite giving up really good efficient, or really bad efficiency numbers in the year, is still a pretty sure-tacular. And honestly, like, the worst part about it was probably how our... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because you said you wanted to say sure-tackler, but you said sure-tacular, and it still kind of made the same effect. Ah. Well, yeah, uh, Monty Rice, who is a sure tackler. Um, uh, so it kind of makes sense. I mean, honestly, the only disheartening thing to me was that w- how poorly Reed, uh, J.R. Reed, LeCount, and Taylor tackled in the box. There were a lot of arm tackles and a lot of times that we just got trucked. And listen, I'm not going to pretend like our defensive line is like some world beater, but I don't think that they were just put on roller skates the whole day. There were certainly a couple of times where, honestly, like one of our defensive linemen just had to beat a, like the first red zone rushing touchdown. One of our, one of our, one of the three defensive linemen had to beat a a double team and none of them did. And that's why they scored. So yeah, that's annoying. But I don't think that that's like an unfixable problem. Like Julian Rochester arguably is playing out of position. If we can get Jordan Davis to play the nose tackle, which is what his body is kind of fit for, or we can get production out of Jay Hayes or Daquan Hawkins Muckle, suddenly we are better on the interior and we have a much better five technique who can play, actually play five five technique then and then we can kick out uh, Jonathan Ledbetter to outside linebacker and play him at the jack so like long story short like there are pieces on this team to answer it this is not like to answer the questions that uh, you know and the problems that we've been having you know when they asked Kirby you know how do you feel fix these problems he said work and I think what he meant by that was not just like oh yeah we have to practice hard I think he also meant that you know, there are people who need to do more work in practice so that they can get playing time on the field because our, not all of our best players are practicing because they're so young that they haven't proven they can do it consistently on the field. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's something you can fix. Like teams get better yep. throughout the year. And if, if we can get through it with only one loss, like we're going to be fine. And also we're only four games in with 50% of those coming from in conference and we're still scoring more than 40 points a game. Yeah. I think we're, we're doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone can calm down. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> I sent our low scoring total on the year MTSU. No, our low scoring is forty one. Sorry. Oh, that was that was Missouri. That was South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina. Yeah. Well, we scored forty on South Carolina. Did you see what they did Vanderbilt this weekend? They trucked them. Oh yeah. And sure, Kentucky's good, but Tennessee's a dumpster fire, and Florida like looked good peeing on a dumpster fire. Which, frankly, any redneck from Florida looks good peeing on a dumpster fire. That's the only way they can look good. <laughs> just look and and ultimately, at the end of the day, man, like basically every team statistically in the nation should lose to Alabama. And yeah, sure, uh-huh. we got a shot at the end of the year if we make it to the SEC championship. But like, let's let's not try to pretend that this is something it isn't. This Alabama team, mm-hmm. this Alabama team has a very good Alabama defense and has a transcendent quarterback talent. What else are you going to do? Hey, can I also just bring up too that we played going all the way back, like all the way to the beginning of this whole episode, uh, talking stats. Our percentile performance that was thirty five percent of our offensive percentile performance, yeah, and thirty seven percent of our defensive percentile performance, yeah. 
That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, what happens when this team plays a 90 and 90 game or an 80 and 80 game? Yeah. Which we have not done yet. Yeah. Even against any of the other teams we played. Yeah. The highest we played is defensively at 94% against Austin. And look, I get it. We've had some recruiting misses. And really, the two people who should have been playing inside there, Dartavius Russell and Derek Brown, two five stars from Georgia that we missed on in the defensive line. I get that. But let's not act like that it's just scrubs everywhere else because these are the same people, all these people that are complaining in message boards are the same people that were crowing Kirby for recruiting so well. So if you think he recruited so well, just calm down and let him do it. I will say we have to start playing to our percentile performance sooner or later. But I still think in these first four games, we're still figuring a lot of things out. We're still pushing people around in different positions. Nobody seems to have a home other than a handful of players. Yeah. And that seems to be mostly in the secondary and the defense yeah. and on the offensive defensive line. But still, there's a lot of motion in those positions as well. And so it, it's it's going to happen. I mean, that's what the numbers are going to show yeah. is that we're not playing to our our best percentile performance just because we don't have the players in the positions they're meant to be in yet that's because we're figuring it out yeah and and like let's just take a step back you're you're absolutely right and i think now i'll give you my last takeaway and then you can do the hot rod watch or whatever else we need to do here's (laughs) here's which we do need to do my biggest my biggest takeaway is this we just beat a team by 14 points on the road that is probably the best team we've played this year after that day after that game the coach lost his crap the starting quarterback said that we didn't play to our, you know, we didn't play to as well as we could. We didn't meet our own standards and that we're going to have a hard week at practice, right? That's after we won by 14 points. And sure, this does not look like a team that can beat Alabama right now. This looks like a team that might struggle against LSU. But if you look at the numbers at LSU and Auburn, they don't look too great either. So everybody just calm down and let's just be the best UGA we can be every week. And what that means from us as fans is to stop being toxic on the internet which I know that this is me just like throwing a softball into hell and hoping it doesn't melt, but can please, <laughs> please, if you're listening to this and you care anything about me, just stop. Just stop. You know what you're doing. Just stop. Just stop. All right, carry on. Whew. Hot Rod Watch. Yeah, Hot Rod, Hot Rod. You know, after all that negative talk and you know, a little bit of positive talk, we're just going to even it all out with a whole lot of Hot Rod talk. It's actually not that much Hot Rod talk. We all are already talked about it, you know. I even said on Twitter, you know, what is this nightmarish hell we're living in? Hot Rod just missed. <laughs> he just missed two field goals in one game, and he uh, he allowed a touchback. Um, or didn't allow a touchback. He allowed a kick return. Excuse me. It just felt weird. It felt like Bizarro, Bizarro UGA football, especially Bizarro Rodrigo, which is okay. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, they had construction, and it was apparently very windy. It, but on both of the kicks he missed, there was wind coming into him on both the missed kicks, and and the touchback so that's just how it is i mean yeah i mean while i was watching the 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 actual game the coverage and everything they were throwing some anchors up there on the crane they were talking so much about the crane i'd be surprised if rodrigo wasn't also thinking about the crane that's fine i get it i'm just kidding that's not at all (laughs) on brand Uh, i mean (laughs) look i mean look we we can say objectively there was a swirling wind coming in from that there was actually stadium yeah so that's because there was a lot of uh there was construction over there there wasn't anything to catch the wind yeah uh, but still, he also still leads the nation with 30 total touchbacks, and he is still 90, 94% touchback percentage. He's second nationally because of that. So he is still doing quite well, and he has a small streak now of four straight touchbacks from the Missouri game. He'll carry from the Missouri game into the Tennessee match next weekend. So he's back on his normal stuff. Yeah, and all of us are going to feel way better after we get done with the Tennessee game, which I'm just going to go ahead and spoil my prediction. We're going to take them to the woodshed and take out all of our frustration from a very hard week of practicing on them. Oh, absolutely. And- once Rodrigo has 10 more touchbacks and two 50-yard field goals that we just tack on for no reason because we hate Jeremy Pruitt, then I think everyone will be calm. Also, Rodrigo Blankenship is now the ninth most scoring dog in program history, so he's moving on up. Though I will say, I think the next one is 269 points, so we have a few games to go before he gets there. Though he did score 13 points on this game, so if he keeps at that average, he'll get there sooner than we think. He'll get there in three games. Not so Let bad. Me- can I, can I like, I, I'm going to give you a uh, takeaway and I want to, I'm going to ask you a question because it's something that we have talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. One of, one of my notes on takeaways was that we needed a more coherent game plan when the run is there in the past. The run isn't there and the pass is. Okay. Um, I think that we need more creativity in our offense just consistently. We've shown some creativity, but we haven't pulled it out. It seems like we've just been, we've waited until stuff has failed to do stuff that will work, even if we see it. Um, and yeah, certainly I think that Fromm probably could have, like, for instance, called an audible out of that heavy set run up the middle when they had 11 men on the box and just thrown a, like, dump pass for the first down and probably a touchdown. But 
So that might've been from, but I do think we need to see, you know, a little bit more creativity from Cheney. So having said all of that, how do you think we will utilize Justin Fields going forward? And how do you think we should utilize Justin Fields going forward? So I think right now what we're seeing out of our playbook is that we're really relying heavily on our talent. And that's the, that's the, that's what we're seeing. There's no creativity because we're relying, relying on our talent. Like our players outplay those they're matched up with. And that's kind of what we're seeing, I think. Yeah, most of the time. And so that's why we see things like Ridley catches that ball out of the air, stops and goes and still burns his his matchup. You know, stuff like that happens and it's going to continue to happen until we play somebody with a better defense. And I think the first big defense we're going to play will be LSU most likely that has a a formidable uh, secondary that we'll actually have to play against. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of creativity until then. You know, I, I think we might see more screen pass and that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we utilize like our tight end for a lot more, pa- uh, you know, pass blocking. But I think we might see more, you know, under passes to the running backs. We might see more screen passes and dump passes to the running backs as well. Like we've kind of been predicting with uh, Elijah Holyfield and some of that's been happening with Brian Harrigan in the last few games. So it's not that far fetched to see that kind of stuff happen, but it's not that creative, but it's more creative than what we've been seeing. We've just been seeing, you know, mismatches. Other than that, how we utilize Justin Fields, I think kind of just, I don't know, it's its weird. Like in this past game, in a game that we weren't slated necessarily to win the whole time, it felt more like we just used him to give Jake Fromm a rest for a moment. And to yeah, kind of I mean, he was only in for one play. Yeah, yeah he was in for a play. It was it's to kind of, instead of taking a timeout, Kirby Smart pulled Jake Fromm off the field and he could trust that Justin Fields would go on and wouldn't mess anything up, essentially. And yeah. then he would get some playing time out of it and he could get back on the same page with Jake Fromm instead of waiting for either the drive to be over or for halftime to come. And I think that was, that's probably a lot of what we'll see unless Jake Fromm just totally like loses an eye and doesn't remember how to play football anymore. And I think that's kind of, it it won't be garbage time, but it'll be a good way to utilize sideline time with his quarterback without wasting timeouts. I think that's kind of what I saw in this game. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think that we probably should use him more, but I I think I I complained about Cheney earlier and what you were saying just kind of reminded me like, I think really the reason that we're running a conservative offense is because Kirby Smart's our coach. Like Kirby Smart, you know, it took Nick Saban a long time as to as a as a head coach and several national championships to open up to the fact that he needed to have a more dynamic offense. You mean and like I think last year? <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. and I think like two years ago, arguably. But yeah. yeah, you're right. I think that you know that's just what it's going to be. I mean, until we are forced to be dynamic, we're not going to be dynamic. And until we're forced to run RPOs all the time and throw it down the field all the time, we're not going to. And that's just the way it is. And I don't think that has anything to do with Jim Cheney. Hey, can I can I just give you some random other stats I just show pop up from Pro Football Focus that I think oh, are yeah. really interesting? And in regards to what we were saying about our defensive performance, if we look at the Pro Football Focus overall grades per uh, for all defensive players who had a minimum of 20 snaps, number one, we had DeAndre Walker, obvious right Mm -hmm. because he had a great game he had two sacks he had two forced fumbles he had like three quarterback hurries uh two quarterback he had like eight total quarterback pressures overall um number three is tay crowder who we said had a very good efficiency number against himself the the advanced stance really like tay crowder i don't know why he's not getting more play but interestingly enough number two and number four are david marshall and tyler clark Ooh, i like that yeah so like to me what that tells us is a lot of the problem is coming from, and I don't want to call out, I'm not calling out and saying these people are bad, but our two starting inside linebackers and our starting nose guard are not having a good year. Mm-hmm. But there are players on this team who are having good years who can play those spots. That's all I'm saying. It seems to me that if you were a smart coach, which Kirby is, that there's an obvious player, there's an obvious change that we can make. All right, let's go over some prediction reviews. I was pretty upset about this one because you really, you came away with, with the wins on this one, I feel. And the ones that we matched up with, we actually got beat on. Uh, we both on got wrong, yeah. Yeah. The Drew Lock, we did hold Drew Lock to less than 250 yards. We both said over. That was under. We had another over under for, we were guessing uh, 65 points scored. You said over. It was indeed over. I was under. Uh, originally, before we recorded that piece, it was 70 points, which you still would have won with that over. You did pew, it. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I, it was more of a wishful over under that UGA would have five more minutes of possession time than. Uh, Missouri, which we were only, I think we were less than a minute over. It was right over the, over the 30 mark. Over under UGA beats the spread by three plus. That was not true. 
Uh, it was a 15 and a half spread. We did not do that. Which I won that one too. You did. Yeah, you won that one as well. You came under. Over and under blanket ship nine plus points. You said over. He had 13 on the day. I was hoping for nine even. I was hoping for just three field goals or two field goals and three extra points. So We actually also got, we both got one wrong, which is we both said over 0.5 DL Havoc plays, which we technically got wrong because Jonathan Ledbetter and DeAndre Walker are uh, outside linebackers but eh, mm-hmm. arguably they were in the three points they were in the uh, three point stance so yeah. yeah it's all in technicalities final score piece was the score was 43 to 29 with UGA coming out on top of course uh, you said 45 for UGA Mizzou 35 which gave you an eight point difference of the actual score mine was 41 20 with an 11 point difference so very small margin but you still came out on top with that one all right you ready to do some ask, ask CBC everyone's favorite segment the very first ask CBC coming in is do you think that the Mizzou game was actually bad on our part, or is it, or is this situation more a group of, quote unquote, pressure is a privilege kind of problems? That's Ryan Clark. Yeah, I mean, I think we already kind of covered this, but I do think we didn't cover the fact that, like, you know, Mizzou's good, man. They're just they're just kind of a good team. Like their defense is trash, uh, and they probably gave us more pr- trouble than they should have. But on the other hand, their offense is a top ten offense, and that's what they played like they were. They're very talented. They have a very good offensive line, and they've got good running backs. And you know, if you don't come ready to play that kind of team, you're going to give us some points. I also told Ryan Clark, um, my brother-in-law, Ryan Clark, everybody fill in their uh, CBC bingo cards, that I think I'm a Cleveland Browns fan now, just (laughs) because I might as well be. I mean, the Falcons let me down so many times that I might as well just be a Browns fan, because at least one, at least they're consistent, and two, they're on a win streak, baby. They're consistently bad, but yeah, I mean, I guess you know what to expect. Yeah, now they're on a win streak. They just won for the first time in 32 games. And you know what? They got Nick Chubb. I'm into that, too. Go Cleveland. Most vanilla, middle place in the world. Most average consistent at least uh anyway next point comes from ask cbc wow cool tweets it's harrison with this is the same team that won the 1980 national championship according to the ship of theseus prove me wrong i thought about this a lot today too harrison i bet you thought i was gonna have to look up the ship of theseus no i didn't have a lot of girlfriends in high school so <laughs> i know exactly what the ship of theseus is yeah two it's girlfriends you're right, but that is way fewer than most people, and one of them I married, so That's let's right. not act like I was some kind of player. So, <laughs> uh, basically, the ship of Theseus is uh, its a reference to a uh, Greek mythological story, as well as um, it's sort of become a culturally cultural literacy reference to something where you basically rebuild it by replacing it one part at a time. The idea is that the ship of Theseus, they replaced every single part of it, and like it was still technically the same ship, but they had replaced the one piece at a time piecemeal and end up with a new ship. But I actually think that that's kind of true of every sports team. Yeah. Like that's, what the, that's the reason dynasties exist. That's the reason we have teams. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Uh, no, 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 no. No, hit me. Hit I don't want to say it on the on the podcast because I want to like, you know, wax poetic about it. With No, no, no. I think, hold on. I, I, I think that's what they're here for. Hit me. I'm always the one waxing poetic. I want you to go on this. One of the, the, the ship of Theseus references that I, that I most remember and that sticks with me most is from a book called John Dies at the End. I don't know if you're familiar with John Dies at the End, but the very first chapter talks about um, an axe and no, they're talking am, about yeah. yeah yeah okay so they talk about an axe and they're like well what if you replace the replace the hilt is it still the same axe and they're like yeah what if you replace the head and you also have the you know the new hilt is it still the same axe the biggest piece and the biggest paradox and the fallacy that comes with it is that you can't necessarily call it the ship of theseus any longer if theseus is not the one that captains it <laughs> wow yeah so that, that that's a pretty good point yeah that's my piece to it here's what i would say it what it made me think of is that um when I was in band, one of my band directors, uh, I think this is actually a Brett Bauckham ism, I'm pretty sure. He talked about the band chant, you know, like when the band walks in and mm-hmm. what's that coming down the track when they do the correct version of it. Uh, and he said, you know, uh, people always add things and, but you know, you don't want to add things that's going to embarrass the band. And then he talked about how like, you know, this, uh, this is like everyone who's a part of the band is like in a river and maybe you're not in the river forever, but if you are a stream that's fed the river, you know, you're part of the river forever, regardless of whether or not the water that you contributed is still in the river. And that, you know, uh, when you join the lineage of the Redcoats, you know, you're passing down, so you're, you're, you're taking up a responsibility from people who have been doing this for a hundred years and you're going to hand it down to someone else. And that that's super meaningful because even when you're gone, your contributions will be there forever. And so like, I kind of think that like the ship of Theseus is a pretty good metaphor for like why sports are important is like, it's hard to feel like you've held on to something 
and that you've you've done something that's like worthwhile and meaningful and and it can be really hard that's like a lifetime's work and some people never do it and that's like super sad but i think the value of sports is that they give you this thing where you can say you know what if nothing else i was a uga fan and a lot of times that meant misery and sometimes that meant oh, this is awesome but ultimately what was really important about it is that like i joined this cause of something that's kind of, kind of stupid uh, and I did it with my friends and the people that I loved because I loved it. And that's like a meaningful contribution that I can kind of pass down into the stream of humanity. Let this one's a total tonal shift. Jonathan Ashley, ask, CB, ask CBC, what will it take for our players to carry the ball all the way into the end zone? Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't I, know, man. Like <laughs> corporal punishment? The, Jesus. I saw a really funny, I want to see if I can find this ad or this, uh, this article real quick about it because it might've been from a paid forum, but the gist of it was essentially every player that plays for the university of Georgia from now on will take the ball. They'll cross the end zone. They will head straight to Kirby smart. Oh no, this, this is actually from our friends at doc sports. Was it really? Sure. Okay, good. It was yeah, from yeah. Doc sports, So I don't feel bad repeating what he said, yeah. but it cracked me up. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll take it. They'll go, they'll go to Kirby smart. They'll pass it to him. Like they're holding a child Yes. and they'll thank him for the opportunity <laughs> to play at the university of Georgia. Yes. And only when they've done all of those things, then they can celebrate. Ask, ask CBC, Michael Watson, what is the stupidest or most pointless college football hill on which you are prepared to die? Mine is that Bobo was right not to run the ball on first and goal against South Carolina in 2014. Whew. Oh my God, that's so wrong, Michael. Michael, that's so wrong. God. Okay, what is yours? I think you're going to die on that hill. Uh, no, I, I actually have a different one. I had to think about this a lot. I, I think it probably has to do with the national championship last year, which is not a stupid or pointless hill. I couldn't think of... I, there's not a lot that bothers me. And I, I want people to know that right now. Listeners, I am not an easily bothered person. Now, my co-host Nathan is a bit of the opposite. You have a lot of opinions and you would like to share those with people. And I, I would like to say those are also very valid and valuable opinions. So I am totally okay with that. But it takes a whole lot to bother me. And so there aren't a lot of stupid or pointless hills that I can acknowledge that I would die on because there really aren't that many hills I would die on, period. And so I know that's a cop-out, but I don't know if I have one, to be honest. I actually don't have a lot. Like, I think that every, almost any decision, I would say, not almost any, but I would say the vast majority of decisions made by coaches during football games, especially in terms of play calling, um, are basically defensible on some level. Hmm. And so it's really hard to come up with one that's like, oh, why did you do that? But I actually have one that's not play related. And this actually, and I'm, I'm going to say this, um, right? I'm going to say this and people are going to think that this is like a Redcoats thing, but it's actually just like a sort of a pet peeve of mine, like from football in general. And when it comes to bands, I think the band should be able to play through the game. They do it in the MIAC and the SWAC, like the HPCU bands and the, what you know, what they call traditional bands. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know really what it does negatively. Well, I mean, like, the, don't get me wrong. Like, the Redcoats are, ra- are really loud. And, like, I've heard, like, the, the Human Jukebox. But here's the thing. The Human Jukebox, which is Southern's band, band, is, like, probably the loudest band I've ever heard play in person. And, like, they play at a MIAC stadium with, like, 20,000 people in it, and they still manage to play their games. Why don't the bands just play through? What's the point? Like, I get the, like, oh, well, it's an advantage. Uh, because it's like you have a you have a like a synthetic noisemaker or whatever but it's like ultimately like that is that not true of just sanford stadium well i think it has a lot to do with just playing over the players and while they try to hear each other i yeah, mean but that- no but what, I, what i'm saying is like like right now today if the redcoats could play through the plays we would never play through an offensive play no we'd play all, we we would play all the way through every time the defense was on the uh, the defense was on the field sure i think that might i don't know that's tough. That's tough to say. That sounds unfair to me. Well, that but my point is, it's unfair for MTSU to go play in a ninety-two thousand seat stadium where everyone yeah. hates them. Yeah. Wade Garrett asks, "Will Kirby ever do a Dosakis commercial?" God, I hope so. I, I don't know. Kirby seems like he can have fun, but I think he'd choose like a he'd choose a better brand than what what brand would Kirby do a commercial that's for? That's what I was actually thinking of. Like, what what creature comforts beer does does uh, Kirby Smart drink? And that's like counting all of them, not just like the core four, but all of them and i think i could really think about this for a second but i do i can see kirby smart doing a dosekis commercial with his adorable southern accent and being like dosekis uh, i don't always drink dosekis but when i do it's after a georgia football win and i, mm-hmm. I would really like that to, or he tells people to talk to the dosekis bottle after in, in press conferences i'm gonna say now here's the thing about here's the thing about kirby here's the thing about kirby kirby his wife kind of hipster yeah yeah, Kirby Kirby doesn't live at the Georgia Club. Kirby lives in Five Points. Oh yeah, and I think Kirby lo, uh, low key has some like has some hipster tendencies that he that they they don't come straight out. I'm gonna say Tritonia because I think Tritonia is the kind of beer that Kirby's wife would buy, and then he would be like, 
oh, well, I'll drink this because I have to and it's here. And then he'd be like, mm, babe, why don't you give me some more of that? That's not how he talks at all. <laughs> no, that's, that's not how he not. talks at all. But like, I, I think that it would be Tritonia and he would be like real like, well, it's, you know, cucumber. Oh, you know what? Actually, I think he's probably progressive enough to be like, whatever, a man can like a cucumber flavored beer. Yeah. These are my emotions and they're valid too. Yeah. Yeah. I can have emotions. Most of the time my emotions are I'd rather win than I'd rather not breathe. If I had to choose between losing and dying, I would choose dying. That's his number one emotion. But I think his second emotion is, I can feel my feelings. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink a cucumber or a beer. I think he's a reclaimed dry guy. Because reclaimed dry to me is the most underrated complex beer of the four. And it has a okay. lot more going on underneath the surface than anybody that is the average beer drinker wouldn't be able to pick out necessarily. And, and Kirby Smart, he's more than just a millionaire who has a bad haircut. Oh, yeah. But also that beer appeals to the to everybody. There's something there for everybody from anybody who doesn't drink craft beer all the way to people who want to find something really interesting, complex, and like nuanced about a beer. So I think that's Kirby Smart to me. And uh, welcome to your Chapel Bell Curve craft beer corner. Oh, I have too um, much knowledge about beer. And <laughs> no, I got a, I got a lot I want to talk about. What was that? What was the IPA you gave me? It was something the universe. You gave it to me one time. Oh when you yeah, it there. was uh, something about the universe or the galaxy. Galactic space circus. Yeah, dude, I think that's the best beer I've ever had from Creature Comforts. It's an incredible beer, and, and, and it only you, comes around. It was only school. out for like yeah, it was out for like two weeks. God, yeah. it was so good, so balanced, and just so so like hop hop forward without being bitter. Like, mm-hmm. it just tasted like hops, and I really appreciate that. I feel like sometimes the hop profile of beers lean too far into bitterness. Yeah. And I, I like the kind of earthy graininess, the greenness of hops. Like, I like that it when it tastes like a plant. I will, here's my, my beer tip to the masses right now of the week for IPAs specifically. If you think you don't like IPAs, then there's a lot more to them that you don't know. And it's also because the 80% of the IPAs out there are really, really garbage. And I say that knowing full well uh what goes on in breweries and a lot of times there are uh it's it's bad brewing practices it's bad seller practices and then a lot of times those beers will not sit in the right conditions to get to you as fresh as possible and then furthermore those beers will sit on the shelf with 16 other ipas for three four months at a time and that's when you finally get it you wouldn't eat food or milk or anything on the that's been on the shelf for four or five months so you shouldn't do that with beer either and so when you go to the store Check your IPAs specifically because hops deteriorate in quality very quickly, especially when they've been out of cold temperatures. And, and don't don't buy IPAs off the shelf. Like no, off, no, no, that's not in the fridge. Only in the fridge. Uh, and it, it's all a myth. The hot, cold, hot, cold thing. It is not true. If any beer is hot for an extended period of time, it's way worse than if it were to get cold, hot, cold, hot. It's, there's no magic number of times you can cold hot. But try to drink IPAs that are no more than like a month and a half old. Because that's the best time to drink them and only drink them out of the fridge. I do think uh, beers that are really accessible right now in uh, our area, in Georgia specifically, New Realm Brewing. They have a lot of really great beers. There's a new beer brewery out of LaGrange called Wild Leap that I actually just drank. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Wild Leap is really good. The Buffalo. I drank their Chance IPA while we were recording Chance, this. Chance, yeah. yeah. Chance is really good. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. quite good. Monday night's always good, too. So I'll, I'll throw those at you. So, uh, James Fairfold, what poem would you equate to the Mizzou game and Jesus, why? Jesus, James. I got it. Jesus, James. I got it. Dude, don't worry. Don't, James, I got you. How would you relate this podcast to the card, paragot, card paradox? I've been trying to make these somehow relatable, so Nathan's right about some softballing. Yep. Um, and can we get your over-under on how many laps they'll be running in practice this week? Too many to count. I'm going to say... I'm going to say the number of laps is going to be the number of quote unquote laps is the number of um, like stairs in uh, Sanford stadium, stairs in Sanford stadium. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that like they're going to be people running every step in Sanford. Um, all right. Card paradox is the idea that if you write uh, the statement on the other side of this is false on one side of the card. And then the statement on the other side of this is true on the other side of the card that it, that neither of those can logically cohere because one of them is either going to be true or false regardless. And if you, it's like, if you resolve either of them, they're both wrong. Right. So, um, I actually think that this has to do with the fact that uh, this I actually mean actually made me think about something is that like I kind of feel like this sometimes in terms of being a paradox that can't resolve because I'm not really a mathematician and I don't really know a lot about math at all so I feel like that there's just like the thinnest veneer of causality over everything we're doing where it's like yeah these are our stats that we stole that we can tell you about no. Nah. Uh, and, it, and at some point, someone's just be like, oh, well, if I was mathematically literate, I could just do the poem myself and not listen to beer puns for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, that's how I relate it. So, poem, A Lady Who Thinks She Is 30 by Ogden Nash.
Unwillingly, Miranda wakes, feels the sun with terror. One unwilling step she takes, shuddering to the mirror. Miranda in Miranda's sight is old and gray and dirty. 29 she was last night, this morning she is 30. Shining like the morning star, like the twilight shining. Haunted by a calendar, Miranda is opining. Silly girl, silver girl, draw the mirror toward you. Time who makes the years to whirl, adorned as he adored you. Time is timelessness for you, calendars for the human. What's a year of 32 loveliness made woman? Oh, night will not see 30 again, yet soft her wing, Miranda. Pick up your glass and tell me then, how old is spring, Miranda? First off, what a beautiful love poem. Ogden Nash. Jesus, he can write. Um, my second, steps. here's what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second, <laughs> here's why I would relate this. Uh, I would relate Miranda in this poem, someone who wakes up as a 30-year-old and thinks she's way uglier than she was at a 29-year-old when nothing has changed and she's still super hot. <clears throat> someone in this room. Um, it's Nathan's wife. Yeah, it's my wife. But <laughs> I would relate that to UGA fans right now because it's like, oh, we were we were t- we were a top seven defense and now we're a top 15th defense. Oh no, we're awful. It's like that's it's the same kind of like high variance thinking that like we hate in this program. So there we go. Ogden Nash, everybody. There it is. Let's get out of this episode before we get fired from the podcast we self-produce. <laughs> the podcast world. Is that everything we have? Hold on. I think I had one more. It was uh, one more for Ryan Clark. He said, Tyler, 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 why? The absolute best part about that is that Jonathan Ledbetter was the one who got I know. The, was, <laughs> oh, my God. And he went all figure skater on that. Oh, and, boy. Like, he was he was he totally Nancy Kerrigan the hell out of that and it was it wasn't even Tyler, I I do understand the whys though but that would have probably saved a touchdown. Such a good good uh, thing. There were so many good would have 100 percent saved a touchdown. I don't know what I'm saying. So many good Kirby Smart memes from this episode. Or from yeah. this, this episode of football. Yeah. <laughs> last last week on UGA. Boom, boom. <laughs> anyway, all right. This let's is get the uh, hell out of here. This has still been Chapel Bell Curve. If you can believe it, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast like Spotify. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve. Also by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can also yell at us on Twitter and see some fun photos on Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. We also have a Patreon, so if you have an extra dollar every month, you're welcome to throw that at us. It'll also give us a chance to find more uh, equipment and put more money back into the show, make it a higher quality, and pay for all of our hosting costs. And you get you get something out of yeah, it. Yeah, you get yeah, free content. You get extra content. There's all this content that you guys haven't heard. If you're listening to this on the public stream, that the Patreon people will have. Yeah, you'll you'll probably get 20 minutes of beer ranting uh, that yeah. I promise is valuable information. Uh, that you you know, I worked at a brewery you for two years. You know a lot about beer. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that that was probably the like most valuable thing we did today. You know, we we have supported the Nathan Lawrence Poetry Corner. Do we need to start the Justin Bray Beer Corner on this? I'll talk about beer. I think we should. I will. No, I think we should. I'm going to hit you with a question every week about beer. Oh, and I'm going to spend a long time thinking about it. If you have question, if you have beer questions for uh, Justin Bray, you can ask him uh, at asks or hashtag AskCBC at the Justin Bray. Yep. I'll talk about beer, but I will say that there are plenty of white male cisgendered men already talking about beer on the internet. Yeah. Uh, but I'll do this it. This is sure. a corner. It's a corner. It's a corner. It's, a corner. it's not a podcast. It's just a corner. Corner of the podcast. Look, there there are plenty of white, cis, straight, male men who are working, who are talking about stats in sports right now, and it hasn't stopped us so far. Oh, that's true. Which, I mean, uh, we should probably be more inclusive or try to find a co-host who isn't a horrible white guy <laughs> like we are. But anyway, if you want to come, uh, if you want to check us out on our website, it's chapelbellcurve.com. Can you believe it? We got that name on everything. It's a hub for all of our Aww. content, blog posts, episodes, Twitter feeds there too. Anything else we find relevant throughout the week. Also a big thank you goes out to dog sports for always featuring our episodes. We really appreciate you guys. And I hope that you appreciate us as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can always leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That helps us find more listeners just like you until this following weekend when tennessee comes a rumbling down i-75 or whatever road awful road they come down to come see us we'll catch you in the classic city and until then go Go dogs. dogs